When is it permitted to tell a lie? After the death of Jacob, Joseph's brothers were afraid. Years earlier, when he'd revealed his true identity to them, he appeared to have forgiven them for selling him as a slave. That was the theme of last week's essay. But the brothers weren't wholly reassured. Maybe Joseph didn't mean what he said. Perhaps he still harbored resentment. Might the only reason he had not yet taken revenge was was respect for Jacob. There was a convention in those days that there was to be no settling of scores between siblings in the lifetime of the father. We know this from an earlier episode. After Jacob had taken his brother Esau's blessing, Esau says, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So the brothers come before Joseph and say, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they've committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servant of the God of your father. When the message came to him, Joseph wept. The text makes it as plain as possible that the story the brothers told Joseph was a lie. If Jacob had really said those words, he would have said them to Joseph himself, not to the brothers. The time to have done so was his, on his deathbed in the previous chapter. The brothers' tale was a white lie. Its primary aim wasn't to deceive, but to ease a potentially explosive situation. Perhaps that's why Joseph wept, understanding that his brothers still thought him capable of revenge. The sages derived a principle from this text, it's permitted to tell an untruth, literally to change the facts, for the sake of peace. A white lie is permitted in Jewish law. This isn't the only place where the sages invoked this principle. They even attributed it to God himself. You remember when the angels came to visit Abraham to tell him and Sarah that they were about to have a child, Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? God then asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? God didn't mention that Sarah believed that not only was she too old to have a child, so was Abraham. The sages inferred that God didn't mention it because he didn't want there to be bad feeling between husband and wife. And here too, the sages said, it's permitted to change for the sake of peace. It's clear that the sages needed both episodes to establish the principle. Had we only known about the Sarah case, we couldn't infer that it's permitted to tell a white lie. God didn't tell a white lie about Sarah. He merely didn't tell Abraham the whole truth. And then, on the other hand, had we only known the case of Joseph's brothers, we couldn't have inferred that what they did was permitted. Perhaps it was forbidden, and that's why Joseph wept. The fact that God himself had done something similar is what led the sages to say that the brothers were justified. What is at stake here is an important feature of the moral life. Despite the fact that we seem to be speaking of no more than social niceties and tact. The late Sir Isaiah Berlin pointed out that not all values coexist in a kind of platonic harmony. His favorite example was freedom and equality. 
You can have a free economy, but the result will, will be inequality. Or you can have economic equality, communism, but the result will be loss of freedom. So in the world as currently configured, you can't have both freedom and equality. Moral conflict is unavoidable. That is an important fact, though it's fair to say that Judaism was never in doubt about it. There is, for example, a powerful moment in Tanakh when King David's son, Avshalom, mounts a coup d'etat against his father. David was forced to flee. Eventually there was a battle between Absalom's troops and David. Absalom, who was handsome and had fine hair, was caught by it when it became entangled in the branches of a tree. Left standing there, Yoav, captain of David's army, killed him. When David heard the news, he was overcome with grief. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Yoav was then brutal in his words to the king. He said, Today you've humiliated all your men who've just saved your life. You love those who hate you, and you hate those who love you. Now go out and encourage your men. David's grief at the loss of his son conflicted with his responsibilities as head of state and his loyalty to the troops who saved his life, which comes first, his duties as a father or as a king. The Torah recognizes that there are times of moral conflict when you can't fulfill both sides. The existence of conflicting values means that the kind of morality we adopt and the society we create depend not only on the values we embrace, but also on the way we prioritize them. Prioritizing equality over freedom creates one kind of society. Soviet communism, for example, privatizing freedom over equality leads to market economics. People in both societies may value the same things, but they rank them differently in the scale of values, and thus how they choose when the two conflict. That is what is at stake in the story of Sarah and Joseph's brothers. Truth and peace are both values, but which do we choose when they conflict? Not everyone among the sages agreed. There is, for example, a famous argument between the schools of Hillel and Shammai as to Ketzad Maraktim Lifnei HaKala, what to say about a bride at a wedding. The custom was to say, the bride is beautiful and graceful. But members of the school of Shammai were not prepared to say so if in their eyes the bride wasn't beautiful and graceful. For them, the supreme value was the Torah's insistence on truth. Keep far from falsehood. But the school of Hillel didn't accept this. Who is to judge whether the bride was beautiful and graceful? Surely the bridegroom himself. So to praise the bride wasn't making an objective statement that could be tested empirically. It was simply endorsing the bridegroom's choice. It was a way of celebrating the couple's happiness. Courtesies are often like this, telling someone how much you like the gift they've brought you, even if you don't. Or saying to somebody, how lovely to see you, when you are hoping to avoid them, is more like good manners than an attempt to deceive. We all know this, and thus no harm is done as it would be if we were to tell a lie when substantive interest 
are at stake. But more fundamental and philosophical is an important midrash about a conversation between God and the angels as to whether human beings should be created or not. There's a famous midrash in which the rabbi said that the angels of truth and peace and justice and kindness debated whether man should be created. The angel of mercy said, let him be created because he will do merciful deeds. The angel of truth said, let him not be created because he's full of falsehood. The angel of righteousness said, let him be created because he does tzedakot, he does righteous and charitable deeds. The angel of peace said, let him not be created because he'll never stop quarreling. What did the Holy One blessed be he do? He took truth and threw it to the ground. The angel said, Rebono Shalom, sovereign of the universe, why do you throw down your own seal, truth? Let truth arise from the ground, and so it is written, let truth spring up from the earth. This is a very puzzling text. What exactly were the angels saying? What does it mean to say that God took truth and threw it to the ground? And what happened to the claim made by the angel of peace that human beings will never stop quarreling? I interpret it as meaning that humans are destined to conflict so long as contending groups each claim to have a monopoly on the truth. The only way they'll learn to live at peace is by realizing that they, finite as all humans really are, will never in this life know truth as it is in heaven. For us, truth is always partial, fragmentary, the view from somewhere, and not, as philosophers say, the view from nowhere. Truth on earth is always limited. This deep insight is, I believe, the reason why the terror is multi-perspectival, why Tanakh contains so many different kinds of verse, voices, why Mishnah and Gemara are structured around argument, why Midrash is built on the premise that there are 70 faces to Torah. No other civilization I know has so subtle and complex an understanding of the nature of truth. Nor has any other culture, I think, so valued peace. Judaism isn't and never was pacifist. National self-defense sometimes requires war. But Isaiah and Micha were the first visionaries of a world in which nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Isaiah is the poet laureate of peace. So that, like we said, in terms of the general rule that we learn from this week's parasha, is the principle that when it comes to a conflict between peace and truth, what matters most is peace. Because truth can flourish in peace, while it's often the first casualty in war. So the brothers weren't wrong to tell Joseph a white lie for the sake of peace within the family. It reminded them all of the deeper truth, that not only their human father, now dead, but also their heavenly father, eternally alive, wants the people of the covenant to be at peace. For how can Jews be at peace with the world? if they're not at peace with themselves.